Hello, ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are looking at the second half of Zechariah, the 11th minor prophet of the Christian Old Testament. The who, what, when, where, and why of the first half of Zechariah is easy to assess. Who? Zechariah the prophet and priest. What? Zechariah and Haggai encouraged the people of Jerusalem with their leaders, Zerubbabel the governor and Joshua the high priest, to finish building the temple of the Lord. When? This book started in the eighth month of the second year of King Darius of Persia, which would have been about 520 B.C., and then the last date given was in chapter 7, which was the fourth year of King Darius, which would make it at 518 B.C. We do know from Ezra chapter 6, verses 13 through 22, that Zechariah and Haggai were in Jerusalem until the temple was completed around 516, 515 B.C., and they rededicated the temple to the worship of the Lord with the celebration of the Passover feast in 515 BC. Where are they? They are in Judah, especially the city of Jerusalem, after the exile. So they were in the process of rebuilding their homes. As a reminder, the Persian Empire had control over Judah, even though they allowed the Jews to move back there to their homeland. And now why? Dr. Betts, my Old Testament professor, said the key words for Zechariah are preparation for the Messiah. Zechariah's message is much more about getting their hearts ready for the Messiah with an emphasis on preparing the leadership for the Messiah. The first half of the book started with a call to repentance. Return to me and I will return to you, verse 3. Then there were night visions. We don't know if they all happened at night, but at least the first one did, verse 8. Depending upon how people divide up the visions, the most I've heard was 10, many people say 7, and Dr. Betts said 8. Some of the themes we saw in the visions were, The Lord has horsemen watching over the earth. There is judgment coming for the nations that scattered Israel, Judah, and Jerusalem. There will be a day when Jerusalem will flourish again. The office of high priest will be very important now that Jerusalem does not have a king. The Lord is sending a branch that will reach out to other nations, and they too will come to Jerusalem because they have heard that the Lord is in their midst. Also, the governor, Zerubbabel's position, is very important now that there's not a king, and he will succeed not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The word of the Lord, the flying scroll, will be the judge of people, and the Lord will rise up one who is both high priest and king of kings. And now that we have the New Testament, we know that is Jesus. Chapters 7 through 8 remind the people that because of the sins of their fathers, the exile happened, and great mourning which caused the people to fast unto the Lord. But there is coming a time when Jerusalem will be flowing again, and the Lord will be in their midst. They were a curse among the nations, and now they will be a blessing. Therefore, they are not to be afraid, and their hands are to be strong. Verse 13. 
Now we have the second half of the book. It's a different type of writing, apocalyptic. This brings great debate as if did Zechariah even write it? But historically, Zechariah is still the author and that is the view, I believe. Now, one way people justify the different genre of writing is that they say that it was written when he was older. The problem is that the second half never gives us a date. But there is a reference to Greece in chapter 9, verse 13, which was that next rising power after the Persians. So that may be a clue of a later date. In my Hill and Walton textbook, A Survey of the Old Testament, there was a side note that said, Recent computer assistant linguistic and grammatical analysis of Zechariah corroborates an early 5th century BC date for Zechariah chapters 9 through 14 and indicates that the literary break between chapters 1 through 8 and 9 through 14 is not nearly so pronounced as some scholars contend. That's found in page 690 of their book. One of my study Bibles titles this section, Messages After Completing the Temple, which would put the date after 515 BC. And the rest of the who, what, where, and why are still the same as the first half of the book. This second half is full of prophecies that are fulfilled through Jesus. According to Dr. Alan B. Stringfellow in his book, Through the Bible in One Year, a 52-lesson introduction to the 66 books of the Bible, there are more prophecies of Christ in Zechariah than in any other prophetic book except Isaiah, page 106 of his book. So let's jump in and see what the Lord has to say to us through Zechariah today. Chapter 9, verse 1 starts, The burden of the word of the Lord. As we have seen with other prophets, the burden can also be translated as an oracle. It is a word from the Lord, and it did not occur to me until Daniel what a burden it can be to know what the Lord is going to do in the future. It brought Daniel to weeping and fasting. Chapters 9 through 11 are one burden, and it's about the first coming of Christ. Verses 1 through 10 of chapter 9 are prophecies against nations that surround Israel because of their oppression of the Lord's people. Verse 9, according to Betts, is a key verse of the book. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Do you know that Jesus fulfilled this as he was entering into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday? Matthew records this in chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. And in verses 4 and 5, Matthew said, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And then he quotes Zechariah 9, 9. It's also found in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. He too quotes Zechariah 9, 9. And then in verse 16, John said, These things his disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. Sometimes with revelation of scripture, it is a process, just like with the disciples. 
This is why we need the Holy Spirit to guide us, to open our eyes, to see the great and wonderful things found in the word of the Lord. Verses 11 through 17 of chapter 9 describe deliverance of Judah and Ephraim. Ephraim was one of the sons of Joseph who received land, which was in the northern part of Israel. Verse 11a says, As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you. The temple system was one of animal sacrifices for the atonement of people's sin. The New Testament writer of Hebrews said in chapter 9 verse 22, And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. That is the reason Jesus had to die on the cross for us. We see in this section that the Lord will save his people and he will fight for her. And then in chapter 10, we see that the Lord will bless his people. The Jewish people are described in verse 2b. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted because there is no shepherd. This verse is referenced in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 and Mark chapter 6, verse 34. And both times it said that Jesus had compassion on the people of Israel because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 12 of chapter 10 says, And I will strengthen them in the Lord, and in his name they will walk, declares the Lord. Chapter 11 continues the idea of sheep and shepherds, but here both the shepherds have turned away and the sheep have followed, so judgment is coming. We also see in this chapter rejection of the Messiah. In verse 7, the Lord took for himself two staffs, one he named Favor and the other he called Union. With Favor, the Lord cuts it in pieces to break his covenant, which he made with all the peoples. Verse 12 says, I said to them, if it is good in your sight, give me my wages, but if not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. Dr. Bet said, not only is this a foreshadowing of Judas's treachery, but also a picture of the people's rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that good shepherd. Then verse 13 reads, Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that magnificent price at which I was valued by them. So I took the 30 shekels of silver and threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 27 verses 3 through 10, we see that Judas threw the money into the temple sanctuary and they bought the potter's field with it. Then back in Zechariah, the Lord breaks his other staff, Union, which breaks the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. The chapter ends with judgment upon the foolish shepherd who led the sheep astray. Chapters 12 through 14 is the second oracle, which references the first coming of Christ. And then it goes beyond that and talks of Jerusalem and Judah's destruction again, which we know happens in 70 AD by the Romans. And then it talks of that final day. We see through this section in that day at least 16 times. Verse 1 reads, The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. 
Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. This reminds us that the Lord is in control over all events of the world. Verses 2 through 14 talk of the siege against Jerusalem, yet in the midst of it, we see the Lord will defend the inhabitants and will protect the house of David. There is always a remnant. Verse 10 says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. This was not easy for the Father to do either. In John chapter 19, verse 37, the Apostle John, the one who stood and watched the crucifixion of Christ, said that instead of breaking his bones, they pierced his side because he was already dead. And then he says, as another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. John also wrote in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Zechariah also says in that day, there will be great mourning. In chapter 13, there is a focus on the false prophets and their shame. Verse 7 reads, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man, my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, Jesus quotes this verse when talking with Peter, who said he would never deny Jesus, but Jesus said he would scatter like a sheep. In Mark chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus and the disciples were going to the Mount of Olives and he said to them, you will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Jesus was making plans with his disciples to give them hope during the difficult time that there would be a day to meet up after the resurrection. One thing I'd like to point out, which can be seen in verse 8, which reads, It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts of it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left. We see wording like this in the book of Revelation a lot. And one thing this shows us is grace. Even though destruction is coming, it is not total destruction. There is always some grace. Then verse 9 says, And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, They are my people, and they will say, The Lord is my God. Even the remnant goes through difficult times, but it is not for our destruction. It is for our purification. It makes us more like Christ. 
Chapter 14 is futuristic when the Lord will battle Jerusalem's foes. It reminds me of Jesus talking about his return in Matthew chapter 24. At the end of verse 5 in Zechariah, it reads, Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Verse 7 says, It will be a unique day which is known to the Lord. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus said, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Even if we don't understand everything, there is still much that we can know. Verse 9 says, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day the Lord will be the only one, and his name the only one. Verse 11 says, People will live in it and there will no longer be a curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. Then it talks of judgment on the Lord's enemies. And then there is reference three times about the people of the Lord celebrating the Feast of Booze. My New American Standard Life Application Study Bible said, The Feast of Booths is the only feast still appropriated during the Messiah's reign. The Passover was fulfilled in Christ's death, the Day of Atonement in acceptance of Christ's salvation, the Feast of First Fruits in His resurrection, and Pentecost with the arrival of the Holy Spirit. But the Feast of Booths, a festival of thanksgiving, celebrates the harvest of human souls for the Lord. The last two verses say that in that day, the bells of the horses will be inscribed holy to the Lord, which was what was inscribed on the priest's turban. Common cooking pots will be like the ones in the temple, holy to the Lord of hosts. The Lord's holiness will be spread throughout the land. And the last sentence says, and there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts in that day. The Canaanites were the longest standing enemies of the nation of Israel. And this is stating that there will be a day when we do not have to fight enemies anymore because it will be a land of holiness. So ladies, did anything jump out at you today? Oddly enough, this message does not seem new. There is a God in heaven who is over all. There are two groups of people, those who love the Lord and follow his ways and those that don't. The Lord will bless those who are his and those who are not will be cursed. The Lord will fight for his people and yet his people will have difficult times for the purpose of purification to make us ready to live in that holy land. The shepherd and king that will come in this book came in Jesus Christ who is the son of God and the son of man and the New Testament declares that. It is through his death on the cross that our sins are atoned for. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Have you believed that Jesus is the Messiah of the Old Testament? If no, please do that today. Are you on that sanctification process? Are you more like Christ today than last year? 
If no, then what do you need to do to become more like the Father? Let us live in such a way that the Lord is not ashamed to call us his sisters, his family. Today, if you hear his voice, please don't harden your hearts against him. Instead, let's be women who pray and obey. Until next time, and thanks so much for listening.